Hi, folks. Welcome back to another week of the podcast. This week, we're talking about the early assurance agreement between the Eberly College of Science at Penn State at the University Park campus and the Penn State University College of Medicine located in Hershey, Pennsylvania. If you are not a student at University Park in the Eberly College of Science, unfortunately, you're not eligible for this program, so you're going to get less out of this week's episode. But if you are looking to apply to other early assurance agreements at colleges of medicine across the country, there are absolutely some pieces of advice and content in this podcast that will be beneficial to you. So we're happy to have you back this week on the Penn State Prehealth Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journeys to acceptance. I am one of your hosts this week, John Moses Bronson, and I'm joined again by my wonderful friend, Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, John. It's good to be back. This is going to be a shorter episode, but it's, it's, I think it's an important one something that I talk to a lot of students about, but I don't necessarily have a lot of students that follow through. And so I'm hoping that if we give more good information, we have more utilization of students who this is just a wonderful fit for. Absolutely. Yeah. So Kimberly, what, when students ask you what this is, because that's often the first question is like, what the heck is this? What do you tell them? It's essentially an early acceptance to medical school in this particular instance, Mm -hmm. meaning you know you're accepted. Mm -hmm. That part of the process that you would normally expect to do somewhere between junior year and a couple of years after graduation is already handled. Yeah. It's off your plate. You know you're in. That's done. And the beauty of that is that it frees you up to approach your undergraduate education and everything that you're doing outside of school in a very different manner than if you're still working towards that application cycle. Yeah, it's really fascinating to look at some of our early assurance students and the choices that they're able to make and the choices that some of our other students make. It's really, really interesting. So if we're thinking about who can apply, you know, I I put this in sort of the episode preface. You do need to be a University Park student and you need to be an Everly College of Science student. So and that means that your major needs to reside or your intended major needs to reside within the College of Science. The reason for that is this is an agreement between the College of Science and Penn State University College of Medicine. If this was just an agreement with Penn State, you could be any major. If you're a Schreier student, you can apply through their early assurance program. But if you aren't a College of Science student and you're not Schreier, there are some other early assurance programs that you can look at. There just won't necessarily be at Penn State. So it's still something we can explore, but uh, it's important to just understand that requirement. You also need to have a cumulative GPA of a 3.6 or higher. 3.6 is the minimum. That does not mean that it is the most competitive GPA. It's just a minimum. Uh, Having said that, just because you have a 3.6 doesn't mean you won't 
be a wonderful match for this program, but it is generally what they're looking for. You need to be fourth semester standing, so generally we'll invite you in the spring of your second year if you're a traditional fall start. This does look a little bit different for students that start in off semesters, so that's something that you would want to talk with our office with directly so that we can sort of help you understand the nuance of what that particular situation looks like because it will look a little different. You'll also need to complete a certain number of math and science courses that align with the prerequisites that are being looked at by Penn State College of Medicine. In the College of Science, that looks like Calc 1 and Calc 2, so Math 140 and 141. That's important. They want to see how you do in college-level math. They want to see you your performance in Bio 110. Makes total sense. Biodiversity, content on the MCAT really important foundation for the life sciences, uh, Bio230W, cell biology. Again, that stuff's on the MCAT. It's really important to understand it if you want to go into medicine. We have both the lecture in the lab of Gen Chem 1 and 2, so Chem 110, 111, 112, 113, stuff on the MCAT, foundations of life science. Uh, organic chemistry, and specifically, you need to take the 210, 212, 213W series, just like with any medical school, you really need to be taking that series. You cannot take a different series. And then there's some weirdness when we start to look at physics, and that's because this is a situation where you do have some choice. So you can be taking the physics 211, 212, 213, 214 series, or the Physics 215, 251 series, either one of those options is fine. Now, if you are a BMB major, your biology classes will look different. And so you'll wanna to talk to Dr. Krejcevic, the director of the science pre-medicine major, about that so that she can help give you some insight into what that's going to look like for you. Totally fine, totally normal. It just does look different for those students. So if you're BMB, microbiology, biotech, that will look slightly different for you. Okay, so we now know who can apply and what sort of those thresholds are. Kimberly, what does the application look like? So what you basically covered when you mentioned all of those different science classes mm -hmm. is a foundation of understanding in the life sciences. Yeah. Knowing that the people applying to this particular program mm -hmm. have that level of understanding that they're going to need to be successful on the MCAT and to really excel and succeed in medical school in the future. Yeah. So just by meeting those prerequisites, we've sort of ticked off one element of an application, right? The mm -hmm. transcript side of it, yeah. the metrics. What we're moving on to now are some of those less... Um, metric-oriented items, some mm -hmm. of those maybe softer elements yeah. like your lived experience and how you portray mm -hmm. this desire to go into medicine and why it's such a good fit for you. Yeah. So to walk you through the actual elements of this application, um, first you're going to have a cover sheet right on top. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to include a photo of yourself. So this mm -hmm. can be like professional head headshot style. Mm -hmm. No selfies? No selfies. Are you sure? I am absolutely sure, <laughs> although, you know, some of our selfie games are really, you know, excellent these days. Mm -hmm. So I will say here, <laughs> this doesn't have to be a professionally taken photo, yeah. but it needs to be a professionally styled photo. Yes. So just you 
mm-hmm. shoulders and up. Yep. Um, nothing distracting in the photo. Mm-hmm. So no hat or sunglasses, mm-hmm. no wild background. Yep. Just you looking friendly right into the lens of the camera. Yep. Snap it and be done. This is not the uh, opportunity to like work your angles. No. No. <laughs> no extra personality is going to go into this element of it. We're going to work no. the angles uh, in some other sections. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So... Um, also, a place not to really work the angle so much would be your resume. Mm-hmm. Do a nice professionally styled resume. Yep. Name and contact information at the top. Yeah. Um, educational information after that. Yeah. Then go into your experiences, both worked, um, work and volunteer wise, mm-hmm. and then other little elements that might go on there might be any particular hobbies mm-hmm. or something. Um, you know, that stands out about you, maybe awards won, yeah. scholarships, that sort of thing could go at the bottom. There are lots of templates online. It doesn't have to be fancy. Go by sort of the subject section and then chronologically from there. Yeah. This is not something where you want to, like, go too, too creative on the creative end of things because sometimes the way that you submit it, it starts to look odd you know, you can try for a PDF, but even then you want things to be really easy to like identify, find, and, you know, you want them to be able to laser in on the pieces that are really important from your resume. You don't want them searching around and finding it hard to find that. So while, yeah, it does look boring to do a more traditional style is really helpful here. This is a boring section. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> what the implications of it are not boring, but the item itself, yeah, it can be it, the way it we will structure be a little it, bit more boring. Yeah. It's gonna be very standardized. Yeah. Um, but what you're putting on it is yeah. very individualized. Yeah. So, you know, that's how we think about these things is we're gonna find we're gonna we're gonna follow a really traditional way of outlining this, but we're gonna put all of our personalized experience into this that represents the experience that you've gained over the past several years of your life. Yeah. They're not bringing you in to be a graphic designer. No. And a beautiful, well-designed um, resume doesn't make up for a lack of experiences because that's what they're looking at. Right. That they don't want to... A resume that's that fancy is can be very surface level. And for some industries, that's really helpful to be able to articulate your attention to those details. This isn't really one of them. I'm going to kind of stick to the point here. Yeah. Um, okay. So then we're also looking for your high school transcript. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't have extensive experience in college yet, yeah. they want to see a little bit of a longer track record of doing well in your courses yeah. um, or understand where you're coming from if maybe there were some challenges along the mm-hmm. way. So that transcript is going to provide a little bit of insight into your academics and your ability in that realm. Yeah. Early Assurance is a unique sort of application within the health professions where you can and should feel empowered to talk about some stuff from high school, mm-hmm. especially if it was super relevant. You know, if you're in a normal cycle, stuff from high school is not super helpful here unless it's a continuation of experience. But from here, it does help tell your story at this point in your journey. And then the next element here is the personal statement. 
it's usually from about 300 to 500 words mm-hmm. so it's not super long no um you have to be really to the point mm-hmm. but it is a chance to be a little more creative and individual and expressive in how you portray your interest in medicine and the experiences that have led you to your deeper understanding of the subject matter and why you're a good fit for this particular profession. Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably the most important part. Very important part of this, yes. Um, and then we have three letters recommendation. Hopefully, two of those are going to be science faculty. Um, and then the third letter is going to be basically anything else that you think would represent you well yeah. in this process. So it could be a mentor. Mm-hmm. It could be someone from the research lab that you've been a member of. It could be from volunteering. So, um, perhaps someone who supervises supervises you in your summer job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely anything usually yeah. can go there. Yeah, the choice you make here really should help me understand a priority of yours. And so this is something that you can absolutely talk to us about and we'll help you sort of figure out like ask help you understand the right questions you need to be asking yourself to determine what's the best possible third letter cuz you're not doing a full letter set like you would be in a traditional application. You should not be including more letters than what they're asking for. This isn't that sort of application. Including six or seven letters is not going to make you look impressive. That's not the point of this, and they probably won't even read them. And it'll probably count against you because you didn't follow instructions. Right. No, I think I can kind of imagine you out there saying, Kimberly, like, I go to Penn State. My classes are huge. Yeah. I've only been here for a couple of semesters. How in the world am I going to have two science letters? What goes mm-hmm. on my resume? You know, what am I going to put into my personal statement? The early assurance program is not for everyone. Yeah. It's there with a very, very particular audience mm-hmm. or applicant in mind. Yeah. It's someone who's known for a little while now that medicine is the path for them. Yeah. Um, it's not for someone who's starting to explore that idea. Mm-hmm. You need to have some real lived experiences already under your belt, mm-hmm. some real academic success already under your belt that indicates to them that enough reflection reflection has gone into this that they can say with some degree of certainty that you are really going to thrive in this particular career and that you're not jumping the gun in your decision making. Yeah, it's it's really attractive to want to apply to every early assurance program that you can because having that early acceptance is... Gosh, it reduces so much stress. Who wouldn't right? want that? <laughs> I sh- I absolutely 100% would have, but it just doesn't. It's not the purpose of this. And trying to treat it like it does is only a disservice to you, your time, and what this application will be. Because there's a lot of things that you have to balance with it. Right. So let's move on here for a minute because we're going to loop back around to some tips and tricks that Mm -hmm. we have for how to approach the sort of application. But before we do that, let me go over quickly. If you're accepted into the early assurance program, you're not just done. Yeah. There's still a lot that goes on in this whole Uh process. So yeah, you don't get to like wash your hands and absolve yourself of the rest of the process. Right. It's not like, (laughs) okay, see ya. Um, No, 
You've still got to maintain a cumulative GPA of a 3.5 or higher. Mm-hmm. You still have to continue that engagement in science, um, science courses, shadowing, service, research, whatever it is that, you know, is your thing and has really drawn you in. Um, you need to meet a particular MCAT benchmark. Mm-hmm. So that's still on your plate. Yeah. And it, that one's always based around the median MCAT score from the previous right. cycle. So this past cycle, that would have been a 511. We won't... N- And and so that's what this year's benchmark is on. Now, it is lower than that median benchmark. So I don't want you to think that, like, you have to score a 511. It's usually anywhere, like, four to five points lower. Somewhere in that range. And, you know, I think that there's some thought that goes into that in Mm -hmm. that um, being accepted into an early assurance program is hopefully going to help you develop into an individual that you wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to become otherwise if you were so worried about checking all of those traditional boxes with traditional benchmarks. Yeah. So by having a little bit of flexibility in that score, Mm -hmm. by needing to maintain a 3.5 instead of really focusing on that 3.7 or 8. Yeah you can get a little more creative in how you approach things and what classes you take and how you spend your time. And that can be really liberating for a lot of people. Yeah. It, it, it removes a lot of stress. Getting into medical school is still stressful. It's not like that's not going to happen anymore. Right. You know, you still have to graduate. You still got to do all the stuff. You have to do all the things, but with a little more leeway, flexibility, and slight peace of mind, I think. Yeah. My students who are in early assurances, they have like a calmness and like a a very different kind of confidence. I think many of my students are confident. Even my students that are like spiraling sometimes, like they have a level of confidence in themselves. It just looks different. They have a much more calmer confidence, I'd say. Do you all out there know what a renaissance person is? Mm -hmm. I mean, typically the term is like a renaissance man or woman. Mm -hmm. But so a renaissance person is someone who just really accomplished and knowledgeable in a wide, wide variety of subject Mm -hmm. matters. So, you know, they aren't all science or Mm -hmm. all history or all this, that or the other, but they're a really well-rounded and super interesting person. Yeah. I feel like early assurance allows you to be a renaissance person. Yeah. You don't have to like carve a specific path for yourself. You just are you're allowed to open yourself up to the things in the world that you're really just excite you that's fun (laughs) i mean there's an element of this that makes me a little bit sad too because when i think about what is so glorious about Mm -hmm. undergraduate education Mm -hmm. is that for four years and probably for the only four years of your life, yeah. you are surrounded by experts in nearly every subject matter imaginable. Yep. And what makes me sad is that sometimes when our students are coming in with these really clear set goals of going into medicine or just healthcare in general, 
they don't get to explore all of that mm -hmm. because they feel really hemmed in by the requirements and the expectations of the application cycle that they're going to be approaching in a couple of years. Yeah. And I think it's really quite tragic that our students don't feel the freedom mm -hmm. to explore beyond the basic elements of what they think is going to make them a strong applicant, yeah. essentially the life sciences. Mm -hmm. Which does help. It does help, and you can't do it without it, but yeah. there's just so much more out there, and I think that um, there's a lot of stifled creativity and curiosity yeah. because they're trying to stick to a plan. Yeah, it's a, this is sort of a gift to our science students who otherwise can't really deviate too much, right? When we see students coming from economics or theater or English or some of these other or psychology even they have these really diverse backgrounds and it's because academic backgrounds and it's because it's ingrained into their pathway exploration is not ingrained into the pathway of a life science pre-med no no and it's it's the beauty of college you can take underwater basket weaving. I love it. Or it's crocodile amazing. wrestling. We don't have crocodile wrestling at Penn State, but that is a class at a school. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. My favorite class that I would love to take one day is at the University of Tennessee, and it's called Dolly Parton's America. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. It's basically just about, like, it. it's designed to, like, help music students learn how to do, like, research. And so they use Dolly Parton as sort of, like, the focus to teach this more serious side of, like, music studies. Interesting. And so they, like, run Dolly Parton through this, like, historical and, like, social lens, these different lenses to evaluate people and artists and the controversies of their time it's so cool i love it and how like where else are you going to learn something like that yeah right? we, we have don't... a we have a class about the beatles we do we do yeah. um there's a funny background story about the person who teaches that course or taught it up until very recently mm -hmm. um she and her husband, who were both professors here at Penn State, mm -hmm. were actually the musicians um, for my parents' wedding what? back in the <laughs> 80s because my mom knew them from her own music program wow. at University of North Texas. It is such a small world. Small world. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. Back to the topic <laughs> at hand here. Yeah. Advice for early acceptance, early assurance program applicants. Yeah. What do we have? So if you're sitting here and you're like, this is all sounding right to me. This sounds really good and, and in line with what I want and what I'm trying to get out of my journey. We have like four kind of like really important things for you to consider. So if you are able to clearly articulate a detailed rationale for your fit to Penn State, above other institutions then this is going to be right for you and so that's a big thing that you have to be able to accomplish right because you're not getting an early acceptance to medical school broadly you're specifically getting an acceptance to penn state university college of medicine and there's some real differences between penn state and other colleges of medicine so basically 
without applying to other schools and without doing the in-depth research, you are articulating why Penn State is your top choice school. And that can be difficult, but, you know, you have to be able to distill that down into specific reasons. You don't want this program to be limiting to you. No. You want it to open up a certain degree of freedom for you. It should be a natural extension of your journey. Right. It shouldn't be a pivot. If you have to think too hard about why this institution is going to be a good fit for you, then maybe the regular application cycle is going to be a better option for you. Yeah. If you're not finding connections in the types of research that's being conducted or... um, the student organizations. The student organizations, the type. So Penn State College of Medicine, they do these like weekly educational sessions about specific topics and they have themes to them. Those themes aren't resonating with you. Those themes are not coming from nowhere. They're coming out of what's important at Penn State. And when they're looking at your application, they're going to be looking for some inkling from you mm-hmm. that you understand what these values are, what these topics are that really grip their students yep. and understand and understand from what you've written in your application that that you have an affinity for these topics as well, yep. that you're going to see be a natural addition to the student body that is already there. Exactly. And this is what you do in any med school application mm-hmm. during the regular cycle. It's just what you're doing right now is evaluating that this one particular school is a good fit for you yep. and then identifying in really specific detail why that might be. Yeah. So what's our next big piece of advice? You really need to be able to illustrate what you'll do with the additional time allotted to you if you're granted this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we've really already talked about this. Yeah. But in specific terms, you need to state outright. Mm-hmm. I believe there's an essay on I think they this. ask you it as a question. Or they ask – okay, they ask you this as a question. And you really need to be able to say – you know, this would allow me to take XYZ course or pick mm-hmm. up this minor or I feel like I a summer program. Yeah, I take a summer program or I feel like I'd have the freedom to study abroad. And I have always dreamed about going to this particular country mm-hmm. for these reasons. And I just know that that would be so incredibly difficult if I were working towards regular med school admissions and Knowing that my values align so well with those of your existing students, I love this, I love that. When I think about this opportunity that I would have as a student at your school, I'm just like so enthusiastic and I want to be there now. And I want to have this experience to be able to make more out of that experience later. So I can bring more to the table once I get to Penn State College of Medicine. Yeah, because when you're applying, that summer is pretty much toast. Mm-hmm. Don't have too many other plans for that summer because when secondary essay season rolls around, that is a full-time job. I will never forget my student who was on like big extended family beach vacation mm-hmm. that hadn't happened in a good number of years mm-hmm. when secondary suddenly started rolling in. Mm-hmm. And they found themselves sitting at the kitchen table of the rented house while all of their cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody else were out of the beach. And they were writing secondaries. 
they weren't happy about it. Yeah. Their parents weren't happy about it. Yeah. And it was a really big disappointment to them that they kind of had to give up that big family experience. Yeah. Um, Sacrifices have to be made. They do. You can make different choices. You could... That same person with early assurance could have fully enjoyed that, but had participated in maybe a summer research program that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. Or in addition to maybe doing some medical scribing, also did some EMT work or um, were able to dedicate a lot more hours to a really important service experience. We should also bring to everyone's attention that you can still take gap time. Yes, so you are not just because you're already accepted doesn't mean that you're then committed to a path of going four years of college and straight through to medical school immediately you can if that makes sense you you. can but this doesn't lock you into it it doesn't lock you into it and kind of one of the great elements of this is that your gap time is spent with the knowledge that you're already into medical school Mm -hmm. so It's not like a gap period that is spent by someone who still has to apply Mm -hmm. and cross their fingers that they're going to get an acceptance. That gap period has so much more possibility than it would have otherwise. Yeah, there's because to do a good gap year, it really needs to be in line with very specific parts of why you're moving towards medicine and your what you feel is important in your in very specific passions and this allows you to sort of like take your journey in a different direction right it's very cool yeah you just defer your enrollment for a year that's something new that we learned mm-hmm. this is new information to us we did not know that you could do this and this was wonderful news to learn yeah it's great news all right we've got one more here john so with this You are being asked earlier than your peers to be able to clearly articulate why medicine. And a lot of students, you know, we talk about this often. They come to us with very, they have a why, but it's not fully fleshed. It's, you know, I love to help people. I love the sciences. You have to get closer to such a nicely fully fleshed why for medicine a lot sooner and not only do you need to have that why you need to have already had some experiences or active decisions that you've made that resonate and reflect and represent that why it's not enough to say you know i really want to go to penn state because they have a high you know spanish-speaking population and i really I speak Spanish and I really want to support and help that population. That's good. That's a start. But you can't just say, like, I really want to help the people that Penn State College of Medicine serves. That's really bad. (laughs) The best one would be, I know that this institution serves this particular population and Mm -hmm. I already speak Spanish. And last summer, I was able to volunteer in a clinic as an interpreter Mm -hmm. for patients who don't speak English, Mm -hmm. speak Spanish as their primary language, um, but didn't have anyone to come with them to their appointments to support them in that. Yeah, that we see huge disparities in that 
population. And if you can talk about those disparities and your desire to want to help to mitigate or address those barriers that people experience, you've just gone from someone that has like a general sense to someone with a really nuanced sense who has lived experience that backs that up. And that was an active choice that you made. This isn't like a high school experience where someone could have signed you up and made you go on your free Saturday. You chose to do this, you made time for it, and you allocated your time and resources to it. The power of that is so much greater. And that's what makes applicants for these programs stand out. Now, you don't have to be exceptional in all these areas. And we're here to help you. Like if you're struggling with some of this, you can talk to us. We can help you plan for what this could look like for you. You know, I tend to be very direct with people if I don't think they're a good fit because this is also a pretty big commitment. But here's the other part of this. If you are prepping yourself to apply to this particular program. Yeah. You're also prepping yourself to be a fantastic applicant in a regular cycle in the mm-hmm. future. Yeah. So if this doesn't work out, it's not time lost. No. Or effort that's down the drain all of a sudden. Yeah. And it should feel easy to you. So even if you don't get in this cycle, but this felt easy to you in a regular cycle, if you feel yourself having a hard time doing this connective work, it might be a sign that one of the schools that you're working towards is is not a natural good fit for you. And that's okay, too. Hopefully we figure that out before you submit your school list. Please. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Let's save you some money. But we want you to... We're doing skills building because let's say that, you know, everything goes well, you get in the acceptance, you move into that program, you're going to use all these same skills again when it's time to apply to residency. And you are going to be so much better prepared because of how you approached this process. As long as you're doing it with intent and careful consideration, it can be a great fit for a lot of people. So. Kimberly, is there anything else that you think we should be chatting about with this topic? Any last minute things for our listeners? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of material here. Yeah. Um, I think one question that we get on repeat, but we'll just end with this, is that materials, um, sort of the application itself gets revised every year. Yep. It gets sent out through our office. Mm Mm-hmm. Each spring term. Yep. And only to the group of students who are eligible to yep. apply for it. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that information yeah. um, in the spring semester of your sophomore year. Mm-hmm. If you are considering applying in your sophomore year, but you're not yet there, mm-hmm. you can come in and talk to us about what your plan should be mm-hmm. to make your strong, yourself a strong applicant. Mm-hmm. Um, but you won't be able to know exactly what those materials will be for that year. Yeah. They don't change in any great way, but you won't be able to just sort of sit down and work on it ahead of time. Yeah. And that sort of throws people off sometimes that they have to wait for that email to come out mm-hmm. from our office. Yeah. We, we want to support you in this. We're not here to like leave you out to like flop around on your own. <laughs> we are here to support you. And I mean, I think that's kind of, the main thesis of our office is if you're running up against a challenge, something's not feeling 
like a natural coming out of you naturally that doesn't mean that you are bad or not ready it just means that perhaps we haven't prepared you in the right way to take on the unique challenges of this unique type of application right as stem i've said if i've said this once i've said it a hundred times we don't train you as stem students to think about yourself in the way that we're asking you to think about yourself in these applications so it's not a deficiency on your part to ask for our help and our guidance. It is you utilizing the tools and resources that are available to you. And I can't think of a better thing that I would like a future physician to know is how to use their tools, their resources to their absolute max. You don't have to figure this out on your own. And goodness gravy, there's way too many like hidden pitfalls for you to feel like you have to. I've got open starfish appointments, y'all. I'm just saying. Come I do find too. me. And if I run out, just tell me and I'll add a, just tell a me. week or two <laughs> on to the end. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to cut the episode here. I hope that this has been very educational for you. If you're thinking about applying to other early assurance programs, please let us know. Uh, this is also going to be the first episode in a series. We're going to be covering a lot of Penn State early assurance programs both here at University Park and across the Commonwealth. So we're really excited to get to work on this new series of podcasts to help you understand what your opportunities are as a Penn Stater. So thanks for joining us this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system.